Hello, John Schuler. Hey, Brandon. Dude. How's it going, bud? First podcast at the new shop. I'm sitting oh, here. Oh, is that where you're at? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm at the new shop. Finally set up a little desk in here. A little tiny. Dude, my, my office is the size of a janitor's closet. No joke. It is tiny. It is so small. And uh, the reverb in here is crazy because it's just, you know, this little square room. So I'm going to have to get some acoustic panels put on the wall to help uh, dampen the noise. So I apologize to people listening to this podcast because there will be some uh, some acoustic reverb, but it is what it is. Yep. And I, I was doing this right when I called you, but this is how sensitive it is. That's me just touching my desk. I'm not hitting it with anything. I'm just... It's crazy. It's insane. That's your heartbeat. Dude, it is. That's your heartbeat. I can the hear heartbeat it. of America right there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So it's, it's pretty uh, It's pretty cool to finally be here. It's a new shop and, and doing a podcast. I'm looking forward to making this a regular thing. At some point, we'll introduce video into it, and we'll start doing some video feeds and you know get back to the concrete and coffee we were doing every Saturday for a while. That was a lot of fun. Right. So now that I finally have yep, a space yep. that where I don't have screaming kids and three barking dogs, I can uh, I can do that. So, all right. Well, what do you want to talk about today? Anything exciting in the concrete world, <laughs> <laughs> dude? This uh, good gracious! It's been a, it's been a, 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 a what's the right word? Entertaining isn't the right word. It's been. An interesting week, the last week, maybe two weeks. It's been a little while. We've, it's been two weeks since the last, last podcast. So yeah. to kind of catch everybody up to speed, and most people don't know the behind-the-scenes drama, if you want to call it drama, or behind-the-scenes. It's like, uh, what was that show on HBO? Um, Game of Thrones. It's seriously like Game of Thrones in, in, the, uh, in the background in the concrete world. So one of our whatever i wouldn't even call him a competitor but uh somebody else that does training and sells product has been contacting customers and telling them that radmix doesn't do anything that it's just an expensive filler that you don't need buy their product instead well here i'm going to add to interject to that because oh, okay. i just had it said no that didn't happen so i'm going to say allegedly via people who have specifically told us yeah yeah well, how about that Okay, so anyways, so this, this you know, like uh, ignited the fuse of a, a whole bunch of other things that have gone on since then. But I don't really care about the drama or the, you know, whatever it is, the, the Game of Thrones. We should have the Game of Thrones music playing in the background right now, by the way. Yeah. I don't really care about that. But what I do want to address is the accusations or the uh, implications that Radmix is just an expensive filler and it doesn't do anything. And I know you want to talk about it because you're the chemist. And so you have very strong uh, feelings on this and opinions. Oh, I do. Yeah. So hit it. How do I explain it? I'm going to do it again, fairly simple. I think, and I'm again, maybe blame it on us. We don't, maybe we haven't been, I don't know, put the information out as well. I know you and I look at things. A lot of us look at things differently based on the view so to me, rad mix is a reactive powder admixture. And that's my simplest way to explain it. It's not just a simple pozzolan, you know, it's not just silica fume or whatever other pozzolan you can think of. It literally from start to finish, it's a re- reactive powder admixture. 
I could go so many ways in my thinking, you know how my head starts spinning. I think there's a difficulty and always has been that when people in whatever industry, the outside fringes of the industry are working on development and moving forward, whatever that means, you know, innovation or, or whatever we want to call it is there's going to be a core of people that continue to fall behind the times as they, at least what it appears to be, hold on to and grasp on to anything that they think they know. And the difficulty becomes, and this really is a difficulty as much as anybody doesn't want to say it is, is relaying the information adequately to those people that, hey, you know, the times are changing. And now here we're talking about concrete, but we've seen this so many times in in almost every industry, right? Uh, when we were kids, Sears and Roebuck was a company. It was like, you know, the global leader in everything. Yeah, too big to and fail. Then, they were huge. And then Kmart. They were huge. Yeah. Right. And, and then for a minute, this guy, and I'm sure there was many more, this little guy in Jeff Bezos with his hand-painted sign in his basement now is a global leader. But nobody saw it coming or nobody wanted to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And the next thing you know, when everybody's like, oh, people will be buying things online. No, they won't. As they kept investing in their brick and mortar. And next thing you know, you have Macy's and JC's Pennies and, you know, Sears and Rowe, Montgomery Ward. I mean, the list could go on, you know, slowly closing doors and as if they just didn't see it coming. So that that's the hard part. The, the hard part is, <clears throat> and I'm not trying to put a you know, feather in my cap, the difficulty for me has always been, whether we're talking about, you know, well, chemistry in general, is that there's so many ways for chemistry to happen. And I enjoy chemistry. So, you know, I, I consistently look for the outer fringes on how to create things from a very different view than maybe what the core does. So I guess where I'm going with this is, in a long story short, the given information I think was out there that, ooh, Radmix is a puzzle. Okay, puzzle. Whatever that means to somebody, because I can give you my view and then someone else can say, well, no, that doesn't, that doesn't mash with Webster's dictionary. Mm, okay. All right. <laughs> so uh, depending on how we want to term some things and, and analyze them. And so Radmix, which is, you know, the, a lot of the bones of maker mix in general is, you know, just a puzzle or mostly puzzling. How about that? Which then leads to a conclusion, if a person wanted to, that that particular material, solely because of that word puzzling, only works a certain way under circum certain circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. But but I guess what what maybe wasn't clear, and it's not going to be clear enough because then that means a person went, well, John, you need to tell us exactly what's in it. Oh, really? So give you all the IP that's been you know, 25 plus years of what I do. No, I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> well, then, you know, we're going to interpret it as a puzzle and so it doesn't work. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, and then that just leaves it up to us, I guess, to move forward and sh you know, I shouldn't say show the situations, but, you know, put more information out there to shore, to specifically introduce the benefits of 
reactive powder admixtures in various situations. And I think that's becoming more and more clear, more and more clear. You know, my view on it is this. There's some people out there that like to put a lot of emphasis on their formal education and try to somehow draw a correlation between that and decorative concrete and how those two things are important. A bookkeeper, a baker, a janitor, an engineer, whatever it is, those things do not have any direct influence or make you an expert on concrete more than anybody else. What does play into this is your chemistry background. You have a doctorate in chemistry. The chemistry background you have directly plays into the development of new and innovative materials that did not exist. So in my opinion, if anybody's going to put a feather in their cap and point to their formal education and how that is important to what we do, the only one that I've seen so far that has any relevance is chemistry. And you're, as far as I know, and there might be somebody else out there, but they're not developing products uh, on the scale that we are. But uh, you're the only person I know that has a doctorate in chemistry that is actively working to pursue new and innovative technologies in the concrete industry that did not exist. And that brings me to my second point I want to hit really quick, because you sent me a video that was a really good video, and I'm going to link it in this uh, podcast on the, on the notes of the podcast. But it had to do with academia and uh, scientific development, you know. And so the problem is for so many people that aren't forward thinking, they're not innovative thinkers, they're not thinking outside the box, is they rely on papers that it's just a consensus amongst other scientists that say, yeah, 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 we agree that this works. It's not pointing. Exactly. It's not pointing the direction to innovation. It's saying, yeah, yeah, we, we know this to be, you know, a a good conclusion to whatever the hypothesis was. What you're doing is you're not relying on studies that are 5, 10, 20, 50 years old to base your decisions. You're working on new ideas, new thought processes, new chemical reactions. You're, You're approaching it from a whole new perspective that's wholly unique and outside the realm of academia, per se. And you're yeah, never going to have. I would say practical experience. Exactly. You're and, never going to have where, innovation yeah, that, if you live exactly, in a bubble of academia. Exactly. Various, you know, uh, thought processes. Actually, it's like butting heads. You know, you have a group of people, whoever those people are, and that becomes the basis of what they want the information to be, and and they hold tight to that, and they hold that value above anything else. <clears throat> I, I personally don't agree with that. Um, I, I do think some of that information is valuable, but it's as valuable to me as stepping stones. Nothing more. Nothing more. You know, everything else is focused on the horizon. You know, you're looking forward. You're constantly looking forward. And that is very uncomfortable for a lot of people. And that's literally just the way it is, unfortunately. And um, yeah, so yeah, is um, Alan Savory. is I think who you're talking about, Alan Savory. And he's one of many, I'm going to say in-field scientists, not, I mean, I I know he's been obviously in academics and I think he's wrote wrote several books and some of those books can actually be found in universities, but yet they're not really utilized. Uh, They, again, they mostly utilize you know, the studies and so forth. But yeah, Alan Savory, his line of thinking is much like my own and has been for a very long time. I don't discount any academic 
backgrounds to anybody or, you know, information that comes through that. But at the end of the day, that's not what breaks things forward. What often breaks, well, what only way that gets broke forward is someone has an idea, you know, they move forward on that idea. I can tell you because I've been there so many times that through, you will have detractor after detractor after detractor trying to stop you, tell you it's not going to work, tell you it's not relevant. And then here's the, here's, here's the kicker. This is no kidding. Then they'll end up telling you when it's said and done is that without some kind of study, then they don't believe it. I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to take any of your experience as value of that information. The only thing I want to see is studies. Well, the studies aren't going to exist. They don't because it's coming through absolute experience. Yeah. And it's coming through thinking of things in a whole new way, which hasn't been done before. You know, there's a interesting thing is confirmation bias. We've talked about this on previous podcasts, but confirmation bias. And, you know, we're all guilty of it to some extent where we look for data to support our viewpoint and uh, data or data, John, which is it? No, no, no. We always go back and forth. (laughs) Data to me is the Star Trek guy. Yeah. Well, so (laughs) confirmation bias. And the thing with studies and and academic papers is you can find any number of those to support your position and any numbers to create opposition. And so, you know, in the the health industry, I follow a bunch of different, you know, health gurus that talk about um, different diets and whatnot. And they'll point to different studies. And it's amazing how one guy will, will find studies that say, you know, carnivore is the only diet you should be on. And another one will show that that's absolutely untrue. A Mediterranean diet is the healthiest diet. And here's why. And there's studies that support this. And another one's like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, a carb diet is where you need to be. Your body needs this. Yeah. And there's, a salt diet, a vegetarian dude, diet. There's <laughs> studies for all of them. And if all you want to do is do confirmation bias and, you know, cherry pick the, the studies that you want to support your stance, then, okay, fine. You'll keep, you'll keep living in that little bubble that you live in where all the innovation is outside of that bubble and you don't, you you won't uh, acknowledge that it exists. You know, it's just, this is it. Okay, fine. Keep doing it. But where we reside and where the people that use Kodiak pro products reside is we're on the cutting edge of technology And, and we're there because of practical experience two decades plus of us doing this every single day professionally. Yeah. This is what we do. And then a practical experience of materials development, of trying this, trying that. Hmm, what if we did this? What if we did that? You know, you've been doing that for 20 years. You've been sending me products. You've been sending all kinds of yep. products to people all over the world. Try this. Give me your thoughts. You know, who else is doing that? Nobody. Nobody's doing that. So, you know, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's, I know I know we talk about that a lot, but I still I still fully believe with a lot of individuals who are maybe, just, you know, trying to play, you know, battle of the experience or battle of the brain or, or whatever the case may be is that that easily gets discounted. And where I'm going with that is, well, I know you told us, so I'm, I'm just going to talk about it moving forward with the made better to make better all the, again, let's call them problems, all the situations, the frustrations that we've had in our own shops using products to the best of our ability, you know, following the data sheets, following the information, troubleshooting, 
you know, whatever that you, you know, why did my stuff curl? Oh, well, hey, did you do this? Well, good Lord, why do I got all these voids? Now, if we were looking for something without voids, oh, now I have to spend, you know, more time slurring, patching, filling, you know, to, oh man, what, geez, Louise, how did, how did I get all this air or whatever the case may be? Why did the sealer scratch? Why is this happening? We've lived through those. We've lived through those. We've been there like anybody else, you know, I'm just going to put on the table. John Schuler has not always had and his own stuff, right? Like anybody else, you know, I've called so-and-so to get some of this or that, or, you know, their admixture and Hey, it was, you know, supposed to be the bee's knees. It's going to fix everything. And at the end of the day, and I'm just going to say, you know, this is the grave other people are going to bury themselves in. At the end of the day, the rest of these people that are coming out with products, et cetera, et cetera, without hands-on experience, maybe they are trying to use, you know, someone else's study to justify their information or whatever the case may be, is that <laughs> they're going to bury themselves with that information because they can't change. They'll continue to put out stuff and someone will come back you know, did, did, hey, well, why did this happen? Oh, well, you just did it wrong. And then that leaves somebody in a position to keep the frustration of chasing product, you know, yeah. in the end, then trying to chase an expectation. Maybe they just, they just wanted something clean, wanted easy to mix up because they're still, although we got caught up in, in materials and, and I certainly get caught up in material science, the real thing at the end of the day is and I forget who I was talking to, but like, Hey, well, I make really good concrete. Okay. And whatever you're using, I'm sure you mix it up. And I sure, you know, at the end of the day, once it's, however it's cured, it certainly gets hard enough that you can pick it up. Okay. Just like I can go get <laughs> Smith paints and I can pour it into the concrete and you know, it will get hard, but that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do for what we are trying to achieve and what we are trying to achieve and maybe not everybody, but I need to be profitable and profitable in a way that allows me to have a life at the same time with family and friends and hobbies, but still be profitable making product. Well, it's a good segue of a conversation we've had many times and it's been a long time since we had it, and we're not going to go in depth on this podcast because we don't have the time to do it like we have in previous ones. But just the financial cost of using a pre-blended mix, whether it's our mix mm. or some other company's mix, you know, some people in this industry get really caught up in the cost, and they they love to beat their chest and say, "I made this whatever you know amount of concrete for ten dollars." Okay, great, that's awesome. Sure. You know, phenomenal. Is it, is it the best product you could have made? Is it the best end product for the client? Does it have the same longevity? What did you, you know, instead of spending, let's say it was going to be five bags of, of uh, maker mix. And so you're gonna have $200 in mix, but you spent 10. So it's a $190 difference. Well, what did you charge mm -hmm. for that piece? Was that $190 difference, the difference between profitability and, and losing money on the project. And if it was brother or sister, you have a much bigger problem you need to address because if that is making or breaking a profitability, you have a problem. 
and where it gets lost on so many people is the consistency, the strength, the time savings, which is massive, which is really, you know, something that you and I and Martin and other people, uh, Joe Bates, is really what we're finding to be the biggest benefit to us. Besides making what we consider to be the finest concrete that is humanly possible, but it's the time savings that all of us are enjoying after years and years and years of spending eight to 10 hours to do a project. Now we're spending two to three in the casting process. Yeah. And that adds up on a weekly basis. If you have an extra 20 hours a week to do what you want to do, whatever that is, that's amazing. But these are the economic exercises that so many artisans miss the boat on. And, right. you know, the churn rate in this industry is tremendous. The churn rate in every industry is tremendous. I was watching a TikTok the other day. Somehow I got onto like the forestry TikTok, right? Where it's these guys that go in and do like forestry mulching with these big machines that have these big cutter heads that like mow down trees and turn them into mulch. And uh, there's a lot of the same issues in that industry as there is in this industry. And one of the big problems is, A, people are underbidding, so they're, they're not pricing their things where they should be, the projects. They're not pricing projects where they should be. And the second thing is they're, they're spending money on the wrong things. They're trying to save money by using a skid steer instead of the actual correct machine uh, that runs the, the cutter heads and things like that. And so uh, this guy was talking, who's a successful person in that industry, and he was essentially saying, like, 99.9% of these businesses are going to fail. You know, the, the barrier of entry is so low for that industry that anybody can go out to Kubota and get a skid steer and a cutter head and go down to Ford and get a Ford F-450 Platinum and a flatbed and then, you know, put a sign up saying that we do forestry mulching. Great. But you don't have the right equipment. You don't have the right experience. You don't have the right know-how. And you're not charging the right amount. And that's a recipe for disaster. And I was watching that and just thinking at the same time of the parallels to this industry, the decorative concrete industry, specifically concrete sinks, countertops, furniture, tile, and how the exact same issues that go on in other industries go on in this industry where people get into it, they get led in the wrong direction with, with materials, uh, with sealer. So they, they make bad decisions on that. They get led in the wrong direction with where do they make money? Well, I make money because my time is free. Dude, your time is not free. But they end up making yeah. that mistake. And then they, they make the big mistake of not charging accordingly, not charging what the piece is worth, not charging for their experience if they have experience at that point, but not charging for their experience. And the downside is if you're not making money, it's a hobby. And, you know, a lot of people, great, do concrete as a hobby. That's awesome. But you're not going to pay your mortgage. You're not going to put money away for your kid's college fund. You're not going to be able to retire if you're going the wrong direction. And so that's where we're trying to solve problems because we've been in this industry professionally for over two decades each, not combined. You know, some people are like, oh, we got 40 years combined experience. That doesn't mean anything. We're doing this on the daily. Me, you, Martin, Joe Bates, all the people involved with Kodiak, this is what we do on the daily and have done for a very long time. So anyways. Well, no, yeah. And as you said, and that's where the knowledge base continues to come from. Continues. You know, just those four names you just mentioned, including myself, you know, I just want people to know, you know, I'm, I'm not in a little cupboard all by myself, you know, look at I rely on feedback of everybody else, including myself, for us to continue to strive forward and to make improvements overall. To, and, and in my opinion, that's the only way to justify because, uh, you know, plain and simple, I'm not in the UK. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, to, to work around 
everything from whatever, you know, the weather, the shop conditions, the materials available, you know, that, that's something that I don't. So without the feedback, I'm like, OK, yeah, oh, this is what's happening. Oh, huh? yeah. Thanks for letting me know. Well, what do you think if we did this or that or uh, then I'll work on an adjustment and this and that, hey, to overcome. And that's I think that's a big difference to everybody, too, that, again, we don't emphasize enough that that I mean, here's an example. Diamond pads, as as you know, I worked with a, a diamond company, came up with some, I think, pretty amazing diamond pads, put all my own experience initially into the development of those pads using their sign, you know, their guys as well, feedback, you know, back and forth, et cetera, et cetera. And we came up with, I think, some pretty amazing prototypes that for me worked amazing, worked amazing. I had no issues with them. Great. Okay. Put them out, a bunch of people, some feedback from a couple guys because they were using them a certain way, not the way I use them. And they're like, Hey, John, you know, what about this? I'm like, Oh, Hey, you know what? Never thought about that. Boom. I went back and what in the next probably three weeks, you know, I'm, we're going to be talking about an update in the, the hundred, the 200 and 400 diamond, 400 grit diamond pads to increase durability and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But it took that feedback to happen. Well, I shouldn't say it took it. I, I guess the difference is we listen to it. And I've said this a lot about sealer mixes, what, and then have the ability to modify. And I'll still say that's one one of the most difficult things with most of the companies out there is they they probably just don't have that ability because they're you know nothing against it, but they're downpacking something from somebody else, and they don't have that ability to reach into their bag of tricks and say, wow. Can we modify this raw material or can we switch out this raw material? You know, what are the, and, and that's just something that, you know, some people love about Kodiak Pro and, you know, I'm willing to say some people are not interested. Well, it's funny so. you brought up the downpacking thing because it's something that it is a little point of contention with me. And it's a point of contention with me because a lot of the arrows you and I have taken from people is that we're just trying to profit off our concrete brothers, which is the most laughable insult anybody could try to throw at us, yeah. where we are actively developing new and innovative products that did not exist. We're actively manufacturing said products. We're actively distributing those products made in the USA by a small business to other small businesses, right? This is what we do. And uh, people are like, well, you're just trying to profit from concrete brothers. Okay. And then there's people in this industry that legitimately are trying to profit off their concrete brothers. What they're doing is they're buying something from Sherwin Williams, going to Lowe's, going to wherever they're buying it from. They're, they're yeah. buying epoxy. Polymers. Yeah, they're buying yeah, epoxy whatever. off the back of a truck and 55 gallon pails and down packing it into little cans and selling it to you. That is prop. That is truly profiteering off your concrete brothers. You're taking an item that you could refer them to very easily. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I get that. I get that from Sherwin Williams. Yeah, yeah, it's called this. Or I get this epoxy from this guy. He drives around my neighborhood right. with a truck. And or this comes from that industry under this name label. Yeah. But instead, what they're going to do is they're going to keep that information private. They're going to buy this off-the-shelf product. They're going to put it in a little can. You don't know what the expiration date is. They're going to put it in a little can. They don't know what's in it because they didn't develop it. And it doesn't say on the can what's in it. 
or the MSDS, what's truly in it. And, uh, and they're going to send it to you and, and it's going to be the blind leading the blind, but it's done for the sake of profit. It's done for the sake of making money off your concrete brother. There's a middleman that's charging a premium markup on an off the shelf product that you can already buy down the street. That is truly profiteering. We are manufacturing from the ground up innovative products that don't exist anywhere else in the world. There's no place in the world that has these products. This is what we do. And uh, so anyways, when I hear when when you say it, because you just said it and it just kind of like, and you're like, you know, people downpacking, not that I have a problem with that. Well, I I do have a problem with that. I personally have a problem with that. I personally don't like that aspect of of business in this industry or any industry whatsoever that there's people in the middle that are taking off the shelf stuff, put a different name, a different label on it and selling it to you. That's a problem for me. Well, here's what I'm going to say. I don't have a problem. It was only, I don't know, a few days ago, a week ago or whatever. And I'm not going to say the name of the, the but anyway, what, what I actually thought was great is one of the vendors had written something on one of the forum pages and outright admitted 100% that, you know, he care that he does the things for massive margins. You know, no, yeah, yeah, no, he was saying quality, that he sells sealer yeah, because no it has the most margin so just, in it. And again, I get it, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. come on, you open a business, you want to make money, you know, but what I'm, what I will give 100% is good for him for putting it on the table. Yeah. Good for being I, honest. Again, well, at least you're honest. Yeah. The other side of it though, is I've been in this long enough from the other ends when running a business. Sometimes I think that the reality is he could certainly put that right on the table because people don't care. I mean, some people do. Them to absolutely. And then some people don't. They probably read that when he had no problem putting it out there and someone else read it and who's probably using products from that company is like, well, yeah, yeah, that they may even admit like, that's why I buy it from him. You know what I mean? Like I buy it so that I can help him fill his humongous margins. Okay. I mean, I don't know what to say to that. Yeah. Is it bad? I don't know. Is it good? I don't know. Well, so I guess, I I guess if you go into eyes is, wide open, if you're, if yeah, you're a exactly. consumer and you go into eyes wide open. I'll give a high five open. to that person for putting it right on the table. And, and then at the end of the day, right, the decision really is left up to the artisan to not just decipher the information, but then you make the choice circling all the way back to, to Alan Savory, you know, to, to those companies with where their stand is on certain things and the products that they're presenting, the information that they're presenting, you know, right, wrong, or otherwise we can sometimes, and I'm just using us as an example, shake our heads like, Oh my God, because that's not our way of doing things. It's not my way of looking at things, but the reality is out there, there's going to be people reading that going, oh yeah, yeah, that's the only way it's got to be, you know, the only way I'll believe this information is if it's in a, in a peer reviewed paper or a study, that's the only way. Oh, so you don't, you don't want to try it for yourself. Like we've just seen some people try the product, even against all information being told not to tried it anyway. And then now they experience the result. And the, respo- the results were so positive, then at that point, it doesn't matter what we say. <laughs> like if I came straight out and go, yeah, man, that's a puzzling. It's all puzzling. They're going to be like, okay, well, whatever. 
I don't care. Cause you know what? I just cast three sinks, turn around. And now I'm going fishing with my son this afternoon. Oh, okay. Yeah. So and when I demoted those sinks, they're the best sinks I've ever made in my life. Right. Yeah. Solid. And yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we go down this road for a while and this whole thing started with just addressing kind of this misinformation campaign that has been kind of been going on in the background. Which is unfortunate, quite frankly. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So just to address that, the whole Game of Thrones thing. But, you know, to to move on to things that actually are beneficial to listeners is something we talked about a minute ago. and, And it wasn't on the agenda today to discuss, but it's something I think we should discuss is pricing, pricing your work. I, there's yeah. uh, another concrete page I'm on. It's mainly for flat work. It's not for guys doing sinks. And I swear to you, they should just change the name. What should I charge? That's That should be the name of the group. What should I charge? Yeah, because every charge single post is, hey, guys, I just got this, you know, 4,000 square foot driveway. What would you charge? And then everybody's like, well, in my market, I'd be 9,000. No, I wouldn't do it for less than 50. You know, so there's all these answers. But every question I swear to you, every question on this group is, what should I charge? And I just laugh every time. I'm like, good gracious. You know, if, if, you're, if you're basing your price by a poll on a Facebook forum, again, you got bigger problems. You got bigger problems. So pricing. Let's just talk about, first of all, general parameters. Uh, you know, there's a, there, there's a group of people out there. They're not really in around anymore. Futong Chang was one of them. And I went to Chang's website the other day and it doesn't exist. Hmm. which I thought was interesting. But um, I just wanted to see what he was up to. It's, it's been so many years since I went to his website and I went and now it's just the Concrete Exchange. So Chain Concrete, they used to have this beautiful website of all this you know, past work and everything. It's gone. It's just not there. But Chang was a big advocate for not doing square footage pricing. You know, price, price by the piece. Well, that's easy to say. It's hard to do. And yeah. it's much easier for me and much easier for me from a... Uh, ethical viewpoint of, I like to be fair. I have this fairness gene. I was born with this fairness gene. When I see unfair things happen, like somebody cut in front of somebody in line, I'm the kind of person that has to say something about it. It just drives me crazy. And so I have this fairness gene and I take pride in giving everybody the same price. So if a client comes to me and they pull up in a Bentley and they say, Hey, I have this house. I need this sink. What's it going to run? I have a way of arriving at that number. And if somebody pulls up in a beat up Corolla and they're like, Hey, I live in this little tiny apartment. I need this concrete sink. What's going to run. It's going to be the exact same price because I use a formulation to arrive at the price. I'm not just making up a number. Right. And for me, that's it's something I feel good about and I feel good about it. And I also have confidence in it. When I give somebody a price, the price is the price. Take it or leave it. There is no negotiation. You don't like it. There's the door. You can call somebody else. And I don't say it like that, but you know, that's my mindset when I give them the price. And so, you know, a general parameter for concrete countertop, I would say if you're anything less in, in, you know, the time we're living in right now, less than 135 to 150 a square foot, minimum, minimum 135 to 150 a square foot, you're undercharging and you're losing money. Because if you account for all your overhead costs, which again, we've talked about this in past podcasts, you're, you're losing money. There's no way to be profitable less than that. More realistically, in a time that we're living in, 150 to 200 a square foot should be where most people should be. And I know very, very uh, successful concrete artisans that are booked way out, like a year in advance or more, and they're 200 plus a square foot. And they're not located in California. So they can't say, well, that's just because they're in LA. No, no, no. These, you know, these companies are in the Midwest 
or, or the South and they're charging 200 plus a square foot and they're booked up so far out. So that's, you know, we're living in a different time uh, where just the price of everything went up and people are accustomed to it. And it's not that your price gouging, but the cost of materials went up. The cost of freight went up. The cost of, you know, electricity went up. The cost of insurance went up. The cost of help went up. I have a guy working for me. I'm paying him 25 bucks an hour where a few years ago he'd have been 15 to 17 bucks an hour, right? Everything went up and that's just the cost of doing business. And so that, that would be a general parameter. But to arrive at the number you need to be, there's a book called Profit First for Contractors by Sean Van Dyke. Look it up, buy the book, buy the audiobook. The audiobook is actually super good. I love a good audiobook. I detest one where the person's voice just, you know, like scratches against your soul. But there's some audiobooks that are very good. And Sean Van Dyke has a great voice for audiobooks, has a great personality, a great cadence, and it's an audiobook you can listen to when you're driving and stay engaged with it and learn a lot. So uh, Profit First for Contractors, buy the audiobook, buy the actual physical book because there's worksheets in there that you need, and approach it from now. What that's going to do is it's going to walk you through the process of getting your numbers, your specific numbers. Everybody's unique. My numbers are different than John's numbers. The cost for my shop, the cost for my labor, the cost for my insurance, the cost my tax rate where I'm at. Uh, everything is going to be different and I need to know what my numbers are and I need to price based on my numbers, not anybody else's numbers. And so if you're asking somebody on Facebook, Hey guys, what should I be charging? You get all these different answers. They're all wrong. There's not one right answer in that group. The only answer that's right is you sit down, you do the work, you figure out where you need to be, and then you start being profitable. And from that point forward, if you know what your numbers are, you'll never lose money on a project again unless you're recasting it because the mix sucked, the sealer failed, whatever, and then you're going to lose money. But uh, if you're using good products and you're pricing accordingly, you'll be profitable on every single project. So what are your thoughts? I'm in there. And the other thing, anybody starting out or I don't care, even if you've been in the middle of this thing for the last, whatever, 10 years, don't get hung up on material costs because at the end of the day, That is not the major cost that makes the difference between successful profitability and non-successful profitability. And that's hard. I'll be the first to admit it's hard. I just got done with a project last week, two bathrooms. At first I went in there, man, I, (laughs) it's so funny. I got sick the week prior to anyway. And the initial thing was I was only doing the vanities these upright cast vanities. And I'm like, Oh, well, you know, no brainer. I'll knock these things out. The designer and everything had these whole idea for the, for the walls at the time. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can fit this thing in because I have other things going on at the time. Anybody again, that doesn't live a life. I can tell you the last few weeks have been about, you know, end of school year, you know, graduation parties, you know, blah, blah, blah. My son, um, shooting trap. And this is the time where he goes to the state championships. I mean, all this stuff going on. So I'm like, Oh yeah, great. Two vanities. I can knock those things out. And then I meet up with him like, and instantly as we're having this conversation, then they look at me like, okay, John, and you know, you're going all the way up the walls. And I'm like, uh, what, what are you talking about here? Well, this is what, where am I going with this? as John Shuler usually rattles on at that point in time, when that happened in this conversation, the whole idea of now of profitability is what I had to take into account. Not, I don't know how many pre-blended bags of whatever is going into this six foot of backsplash. 
You know what I mean? At that point, the whole conversation changes because all of a sudden my time, my window became very short. Look, I'm at the time now. I'm not going to go spend 24-7 in the shop to turn this thing around and still make everybody happy, including myself. I'm telling you, all these emotions that go through your head because you're like, hey, wow, that's pretty cool. That that would really look awesome. Or you could sit there and go, yeah, nope, I'm not into it and move on. So where are you at to become profitable both in your pocketbook and your life and fit everything in? And when you when a person really answers that to square foot or linear foot or whatever they come up with, the price of materials is nothing. While you're talking, I was listening to you, I promise. But while you're talking, I pulled up. <laughs> we did a price comparison breakdown for a podcast back in February of 2022. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just found the document. And just, you know, the, the prices are out of date now. But the fact is, everything scaled in relation. So even though these are out of date, the prices, uh, I promise you the disparity in the cost is still the same. So just briefly, a basic GFRC mix design, and we, we go through, you know, the cost of each material, uh, equated to about $5.98 per square foot for 6,000 to 9,000 PSI mix. And 6,000 to 9,000 PSI, we don't care about the strength. We care about the density, and nope. density is directly correlated yep. to PSI. So, you know, a lower PSI mix is going to be a lower density mix, which is going to be more issues with absorption of liquids and staining agents and all that kind of stuff. So we're, we're looking for a denser mix. But so basic GFRC, just remember, 598 a square foot, 6,000, 9,000. Kodiak per rad mix. When we do the math on that, $5.80 a square foot for a mix, including the Portland, including the sand, which you will add to rad mix. So it's actually cheaper. A, a basic GFRC mix is $5.98, and that's going to be one, two, three, four, five, six ingredients. $5.98 for 6,000, 9,000 PSI. Rad mix with three ingredients is $5.80 a square foot for 18,000 to 21,000 PSI. So it's three times stronger and it's actually cheaper and it's half the amount of ingredients. So it cuts your, your labor in half in relation to batch and ingredients. And, yeah. Exactly. Shipping cost because you're going to get all those from different people, that kind of stuff. Then Kodak Pro Maker Mix. It was $7 a square foot for 18,000 to 21,000 PSI and it's one ingredient in comparison to the other ones. Uh, so one ingredient, so $7. So it's literally a dollar more a square foot, February, 2022, than a basic GFRC mix that other people advocate for where you're adding a polymer and you're adding a defoamer and you're adding, you know, all, all these different things. You're adding silica fume or medicalin or whatever it is. We're seven a square foot. That's essentially six, five ninety eight. So it's a dollar square foot. Now what's your average bathroom sink, John? I don't know. 10 square feet, 12 square feet. Uh, well, the, yeah. Well, the two I just did, uh, they right around eight square feet. Okay. They weren't very big. Ones. Eight dollars more. Right. Eight dollars, dude. A coffee at Starbucks is eight dollars, <laughs> yeah, right? and that's yeah. not even like the fancy frappuccino, the big one, the venti. Which what does that even mean, venti? Anyways, it's not even the venti frappuccino. Eight dollars. Now maybe a kitchen's fifty square feet. 60 square feet. So you're 50 to $60 more, but your labor was cut down and your time casting was cut down and your time post-processing was cut down and your callbacks were cut down 
for $50 on the average kitchen. Well, that's, that's where I was going to interject for a moment because you're right. That again, let's say eight bucks. It was an $8 difference. I, I don't care. Make that number what $80, put a zero behind it. I don't care. I was talking to Martin about this. I sent him some pictures of the project, you know, that I just completed and we had that conversation. Now, again, I'm just going to give John Schuler's life for the last three weeks, multiple parties for graduation parties. My, my niece, uh, they're just headed off to college. One of the, my nephews just came back. I mean, all these kind of things going on. And I was in my shop typically, as you know, cause you and I talked, I tried to get my shop somewhere seven, eight o'clock in the morning. My son's on summer break. So he comes down and works with me. We're out of there by noon to one each day. And I turn this whole project around because of the materials that I'm using. That's what I was able to do and turn it all around in a week. Two vanities, six foot, you know, two walls, a six foot backsplash, plus the side backsplashes, cast, sealed, delivered, you know, and spending time with my son, both in the shop and out of the shop, meeting all the family party events. Well, hold on. Let's talk about that. Dude, Kodiak Pro is sponsoring a competitive shooter. Yeah. Your son. Yeah, he's doing well. Yeah, 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 yeah. But well. I'm just saying, we, we're, we're, we're a sponsor. Like, we, yeah. we're, we're like NASCAR for shooters now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, yeah, no, he's, he's, he, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, we should put it out there. That, that is something we haven't talked about a lot. You know, this, this weekend was his, the state champions, and he, he ended up in the t- top 10. I think it was seventh overall. And I, I need to send you some pictures and stuff for that. He didn't quite break. He had a stomach flu the first day. Well, not really. So he ate something that morning that just didn't agree with him. And I TMI, buddy. TMI. Let's just cut man. through this part right here. Oh, my God. He was out there <laughs> shooting, squeezing cheeks. And it, <laughs> poor kid. Oh, but he still Jesus. did great. Yeah. He still did great out of the, at the you know, all the people that showed up with state. I think it was somewhere around 500. He ended up seventh. Yeah. So, but you know, so, uh, the biggest cost in any business, and I promise you, when you, when you do the profit first for contractors breakdown, you go through the exercises, the biggest cost is labor, the biggest cost. And for anybody that, that does this at any scale, probably has at least one helper. And I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. I would prefer not to have a helper. Honestly, I like being alone in my shop. I love it. I love the projects. Yeah, I like having somebody. Not me, man. I like being alone. And there's guys out there that that do run a solo shop and they are successful and that's awesome. But it's due to the scale the projects are doing. They're not doing, you know, big kitchens and things. You've got to have a helper. Although I say that Dusty Baker is working solo a lot of days by himself. He does have uh, a helper, but he's part-time. Um, so Dusty's doing big stuff by himself. But my point is when you go through and you do the math, labor is your biggest cost. Now, if you're just a one man shop, your labor has value and you need to value that labor appropriately. But when you factor the cost of labor, what did that cost you? If you pay yourself a salary for that position, what did that cost you per project? Labor is the biggest piece of the pie of the cost. The materials cost are negligible. They're tiny. Uh, yeah, labor is going to be the biggest. Yeah. So that's something that is missed by nearly everybody. 
and anything you can yeah, do. Yeah, we're going to keep touching on that moving forward. I, I mean, now that well, I hold gotta, on, John, I didn't finish my sorry, thought here. Anything you can I'm do, anything you can do to get that labor cost down is where you're really going to see cost savings and a boost in profitability. That's where it right. comes from. You're not going to step over dollars to pick up dimes by, oh, I'm going to make my own mix and I'm going to buy this and this and this and this and ooh, you saved eight bucks. Okay, great. If you can cut six hours out of your day and you have a helper that you're paying 25 bucks an hour, uh, what's that? 150 bucks just in, in labor costs, but it's also my six hours. What's my six hours worth? Let's say my time's worth 300 bucks an hour. That's $1,800, right? Plus a 150. So that's 2000 bucks I saved versus $8. If I batched my own mix so I can save two G's in real revenue, real cost. I mean, two G's in real cost or $8. Which would you rather save, two thousand or eight? I'd probably prefer the two thousand. And then people are like, well, but uh, you know, uh, what are you gonna do with that time? There's there's lost opportunity when I'm in my shop for six to eight hours doing something that I didn't need to do. It's lost opportunity. It's lost opportunity to to do marketing, to reach out to clients, to go do presentations, to respond to emails. Believe it or not, I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails just in the past you know, six, eight months that I haven't responded to because I've had time. It's time. Time is a thing that none of us have enough of. And so if you have that extra time every day, then you can do those things. And that's, that's opportunity that can generate revenue for your company. You're not going to generate any revenue for your company. If you're batching sand, if you're batching silica fume, if you're batching metacalin, if you're batching Portland cement, all those things, you're losing that opportunity when you're doing those things. And that cost is not accounted for. I was, I can't remember who I was talking about, talking to, excuse me. And we were having a similar conversation. He's like, yeah, John, you know, I've heard Brandon talk about that, but you know, it only takes me about 45 minutes to an hour, you know, to really batch. And, you know, I'm like, eh, all right, I can see that. But at the end of the day, so then there's the, but, cause I've been there, I've been there. We've all been there. You've been there. I've been there. And now I look at it like, well, yeah, but that's an hour my hour focused on putting materials together. What's again, what is leading to more profitability? The hour doing that or an hour more conducive to my business? You know, and again, if, if you're the person, I mean, this is the way I see it. If, if you're the person that really enjoys the 24 seven in your shop, where again, listening to John, what's he talking about, you know, going fishing with his son or whatever? Like, okay, I get it, man. Well, that's an hour you could be starting another project. Well, here I want to get out of the shop. You know, if you want to stay there, that's awesome. But then, you know, make your the time in the shop more efficient and get more projects done, which ultimately leads to even higher profitability. At least that's the way I see it. Yeah, no, I agree. Hundred percent, thousand percent, John. I agree. So, anything else with uh, pricing and cost that you want to discuss? No, again, it. You know, it, I know I've talked about the math. That's that's the direction I've always gone, and I know not everybody could do that. But so, to me, because you know, numbers seems like my life. To me, it's pretty easy. Look at your overheads come up with those numbers, whatever they, including the materials and the whole nine yards. But more importantly, you got to look at your life. You know, what is, what is your mortgage cost in your, your car payment, your insurance? And then how does that lead to not just paying those things, 
But as we've all seen, man, you go to the grocery store now, I can't walk out of there with half a, you know, half a cart for $189. You know, I mean, everything's gone up. So you, you have, you want to live a life too. So yeah. that's got to be the premium on everything you do. And to me, that's what I call the profit. And whether you're that person that comes up with the, hey, I need to charge $600 a linear foot or, hey, at the end of the day, I'm a hundred, you know, I have to be at $165 a square foot or, hey, I make this and I had to charge, you know, $400 for a custom sink. I mean, or whatever those numbers are at that point, you keep going over them in your head until you're so confident about it that that confidence relays to the client and there's no question about it. Yeah. No question. Well, that's why I just have I... plumbers at my house. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, you Tell know? the story. It seems like I got the ever long lasting remodel going on. Anyway, a mistake was made. I had to have some guys. They had to dig a whole new trench. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. There wasn't once, not once, where any of those people doing the work relayed to me an uncomfortableness at finally hitting me with a $5,500 invoice for being here for two days. Yeah. No, they don't care. And what, what, and then what I'm, what I'm going with that is when I see that invoice, even though for me, I'm like, Ooh, Ooh, wow, that's not what I was expecting. But the fact that it was given to me, like it is what it is, man. was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. It is. There you go. And there's your check. No him hawing, no upsetness. I'm not even bummed about it. Well, I can't even say I'm joyous or bummed because it just is. Yeah. And no, that's, it's true. that's part of the core of it. it. Isn't just running the numbers in your head, square foot price or whatever is you also have to do it enough to build your confidence knowing ultimately this is what you need to be so that you're not that guy closing in two years, that you're not missing a car payment or missing a graduation party because, Oh, you know, I had, to, I, I got to get this done. I mean, that's the way to develop balance. Mm -hmm. And a huge part of that, that nobody, I shouldn't say, because we do, that people don't, are, let's say, or aren't comfortable with is the materials you use caters to that dramatically. Well, from multiple bullet points, first is time. Time is the most important part of it, in my opinion, as far as what you're talking about, work-life balance, mm -hmm. time with your family. But quality because if you're putting out the best quality you can put out, you feel good about it. You feel great about it. Your client feels, feels good about it. You know, you sleep well at night. Um, I can't tell you how many sleepless nights I had back in the day when I was using a sealer called EAP because I knew it was going to fail. You know, but at that time, ICT was not working with the concrete I was using. And, uh, and so it's very difficult to have peace of mind when you're, not putting out what you can consider in your own mind, whatever that is, whatever product you feel is the best, you want to be putting out the best product you can do. I think we should all be striving to do our best. Uh, but then also, you know, you want to put out a product that doesn't have callbacks. The, the client's not calling you back as the sealer peeled, it turned yellow, it scratched, the concrete broke, um, those types of things. So efflorest, all these different things that can happen. And so if you're, if you're using the right products, you know, you're, you're prioritizing what's actually important. I think you can have work-life balance. I think you can be profitable. I think you can have a great reputation in your demographic for having the best concrete available. 
And uh, so right. anyways, you know, and whatever best means, because as I yeah, was listening different to you, different people, yeah, I, I was just, I would, I read another one by a certain individual and how that the information being presented that people like, you don't need to know that. You don't need to know that. In fact, it might even be like, you, you don't need to know why this is necessary, why this is happening. And they're not, people are not interested in that. And okay, except that time and time again, since we're coming from that background, it's not that necessarily anybody wants to know the true ultimate nits and grits, but what they want, (laughs) what they want is to make product that fits the expectation they were hoping for. So they don't have to chase the frustration. You remember the days, man. I mean, right. You pour something like whatever down this vertical, Hey, and then you pull the vertical and there's voids everywhere. And you're Mm -hmm. like, what? You call up the material manufacturer like, Oh, Hey, you know, maybe you need more water. Okay. So next time you cast again, more water still in the back of your mind, you got to fix all those voids for that project. But okay, next, no, next time I'm using more water. Oh no. Happen again. Oh, must need more plasticizer. And you're on this ever hamster wheel of frustration trying to fix, you know, trying to chase it. And then the hard thing for me is those people who continue to support that line of thinking. It's because they're not using them. I mean, well, exactly. I was going to say the problem is chuckle out of it, but they're not using them. They're calling somebody for, for uh, technical support that doesn't use the product that doesn't have any idea what they're talking about. And that's the problem. So many of the vendors in this industry or every industry, if you go to Lowe's, you're like in the plumbing section, you ask the person there, Hey, well, this, uh, is this a good shutoff valve for my toilet? Absolutely. It is. Says the person doesn't do it for a living. That's yeah. not the person I, I you should ask these things to. Yeah. Not, maybe not everybody does, but I'm just putting on the table. I find that frustrating. Yeah. And I think it's a frustration. Not, I think, I know we've lived through it forever and it's a very, it's a tough frustration. Tough frustration. I remember a time when even Buddy Rhodes products, you know, and when when I've said this before, is everybody wanted to keep pushing me back, back, back because John knows too much, which means I would put out too much information to answer people's questions. So then other people were left to answer the questions who, you know, again, were not using the stuff because they're all, you know, (laughs) this is terrible to say, but let's just say, you know, warehouse supervisor or whatever the case may be, they're the ones answering the questions. And then, you know, two weeks later, that person out of frustration, John, I didn't want to bug you, but this is what's really happening. Oh, Hey, well do this, this, and that. Well, that's not what I was told. I was told, Oh no. I mean, that's, it's, it's a frustration we've lived for 20 plus. Well, since I've been part of this industry, it's, it's very frustrating. Yeah. And that's not to say as I'm going to put out there, I'm not saying anybody's not testing the products that they're selling or have their own way of securing their information and tech data sheets and the whole nine yards. I, I don't believe that for a second. Uh, but what I do will stand behind time and time again is hands-on practical experience is lacking. Yeah. Well, they, it's, they it's a bummer. Yeah. They lack real world experience. And that is what matters. That is what matters. Degrees don't matter. 
uh, your test data because you broke some cubes doesn't matter. Oh, you sealed 500 little pieces of concrete and it did great in your shop. That doesn't matter. Make a piece for a busy restaurant and install it and talk to me in two years. You know, that's what matters. Not, not these, you know, little, little things from a hobbyist, from somebody, you know, playing uh, cosplay of a concrete artisan because they're not a concrete artisan. You don't do this for a living. So stop acting like you do because you don't, you know, one last thing I want to say, John is back to the confidence and pricing. We talk about this in our workshops, but the other reason why I prefer a square footage price when I do a, a estimate for a customer is, you know, I give them the price. The price is the price. There's no negotiation of the price. And I have people say, what about designers? What about, uh, um, architects and whatnot. And I, the price is the price they can mark it up. If they want to bill me directly and they want to build a client separately and they want to put their margin on top of that, that's up to them. I don't care. Yeah. How, whatever your relationship is with that client, however you make your money with that client, that's, that's on you. And a lot of designers do that. They do procure the stuff and then they give the client a different bill and they, they put a 20 or 30% uh, markup on it, whatever, do whatever you want to do. But my point is my price is my price. But when I give them that, that, uh, proposal, there's no wavering on my side. And so it's, here it is. Oh, wow. Mm. Well, uh, that's more than we were expecting. Yeah, I understand. Uh, you know, we got a, we got a quote from somebody else and you know, yours is 10,000 and they said they do it for three. Hey, I think you should go with that guy. You know, if it doesn't work out, let me know. Uh, you guys have a great day. And that level of confidence, uh, and I'm not, I'm not just saying this, Nine out of 10, but nine out of 10 of those customers that have that initial, you know, knee jerk, that's expensive reaction. And then you're like, okay, yeah, it, it, yeah, you're right. It is expensive and we're the best at what we do. So if that's what you're looking for, great. And if you're looking for, you know, uh, the lowest cost, we're not going to be that person. If you got another quote from somebody else and it came in at 3000, you should definitely use that guy. But if it doesn't work out for any reason, you have my number, give me a call and you, you walk and you have confidence and I have confidence and I won't do it for a dollar less than what I gave them the proposal for, because that's my, that's my number. That's my number to be profitable. Anything below that isn't worth my time. And so that's just the way I approach it. But that level of confidence, I tell a story when I first started my company, like the first two years of my business, I had a guy come to me and he wanted this concrete table, like four foot by eight foot. And this was when I was still doing essentially quickcrete 5,000 uh, with like rebar and wire mesh in it. It weighed a, it weighed a ton, a literal ton, this table. And he pulled up in a Porsche 911 and him and his like Scottsdale supermodel girlfriend come in and, uh, he's like, so how much is this table going to cost? And, you know, I do some math and I was probably like 95 bucks a square foot. So, you know, four times eight is 32. So let's say 3,200 bucks. And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm doing some math on my phone real quick. I'm like, and he's like uh a thousand there's blood in the water dude sharks they smell it thousand bucks i'll pay you cash that's that's what we budgeted that's it and i'm like okay i'll do it for a thousand right i didn't have confidence i didn't have confidence and i didn't know my numbers i didn't know if i was profitable or not profitable at a thousand bucks i don't i was not even back then but the point is i didn't have confidence had i gone into it and said uh, yes, yeah, 3,200 bucks. Oh, wow. Well, we budgeted a thousand. Yeah. If you want a smaller table, we can do it for a thousand, you know, a third smaller uh, or two thirds smaller. Uh, but that's my price, you know, and if, if it's out of your budget, I get it. I totally understand. Um, but if anything changes, let me know. Yep. They would be like, mm, 
eh, let's go ahead and do it. Great, let's do it. Awesome. And now I feel good about it because I'm not going to lose money on the project. So anyways, that's my point is confidence is super important. One last thing I want to hit, and this is something we talk about in the class, and this comes from my wife who used to sell very, very high-end tile in Scottsdale, Arizona, is when people say that's expensive. That's just this blanket response. You, you give them the price. Oh, wow, that's expensive. Compared to what? That's how you respond. Compared to what? Yeah. And, and sit there. Do not fill the gap. Make them fill the gap. Compared to what? Well, um, you know, we went down the dull tile and we can get uh, this subway tile for a dollar a square foot. And you're saying concrete tile is 35 a square foot? Yeah. But you didn't get a, a price on concrete tile, dull tile. You got a price on made in China ceramic tile. We're not comparing the same thing. So, you know, this is my price. Or, oh, it's expensive compared to granite. I didn't price granite. I priced concrete. This handcrafted. It's a totally different product. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I didn't think of it that way. Well, there it is. So anyways, that's just a little golden nugget for anybody listening to this podcast who's stuck with us this long because we've been talking for a while. If you stuck it here to the end, this golden nugget will go so far for you when you're, when you're talking to a customer and they throw that at you because they always do. That's expensive compared to what? That's how you respond compared to what? And then silent and you just stay silent and make them fill it. And then they will actually answer their own question and, and backtrack, you know? Oh yeah, no, no, you're right. Okay, cool. And so then you have that conversation. Lastly, John, lastly, yes, sir. I've said lastly three times now. Lastly is don't sell on price. Do not let price be the reason anybody chooses you. Let the quality of your work, your reputation, your design, let those things be the reason that somebody seeks you out and signs a check, not because of your price. If you're selling based on price, you're the Walmart of the industry. You do not want to be the Walmart of the industry. You want to be the Bentley, the Rolex. You know, you want to be sought out because you are the best, the best, whatever that is, the best sink maker, the best tile maker, the best, whatever it is, be the best, be the reason. That's why they contacted you and wrote the check. And if that's the reason price is not going to be the determining factor, but if you're the low cost leader, you're advertising on Craigslist, running the sale this weekend, only 25 bucks a square foot. You're going to go out of business. I promise you because you're selling the wrong thing. You're not selling quality. You're selling price and price is not what you want to sell. So anyways, that's it. That's it. That is it. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done that. I mean, even this last project, again, everybody's different. And I know I've been in this game for a while. Nobody even asked me the price. Nobody. Yeah. The price was never even talked about. Well, how, many times, how many times do you hire a trade? Because you just talked about it with the plumber, but you hire a trade because they are, you, you call around, you talk to your buddies that are builders. Hey, who's the best electrician out here? Oh, I don't use this guy. I wouldn't use anybody else. Great. You call the electrician. Hey, dude, I got I got to, you know, run a three phase line over here and this and that. And he's like, yeah, I'll be out there tomorrow. Cool. Comes out. You don't say, what's this going to run? This is going to run what it's going to run. You know, the cost is the cost. So you're like, well, here's what needs to get done. Great. He does it. Two weeks later, you get a bill in the mail and you pay the bill. That is what it is. I didn't call around. Hey, guys, uh, what's, what's the cost? Because if I'm going with the low-cost guy, I'm going to end up burning my shop down. You know, you want to go with the best. And there's always a cost when you go with the best. There's a cost for quality. Now, I, there's some probably horrible concrete manufacturers out there. They're charging a high price. I have no doubt. 
And so cost isn't always directly correlated to quality, but the majority of the time, the majority of the time, a high cost product versus a low cost product, there's going to be a quality difference the majority of the time, not always, but the majority of the time. So that's, that's what we are trying to convey to you. The listener is conveying. And again, build a life into that. Exactly. Have a life. Build a life into it. Exactly. Because what good is money if you're just in your shop batching 50 different ingredients? You made this yeah, money. What are you doing with ingredients or having to take on three, four, five, six projects, you know, to, to maintain a profitability. I mean, that's, that's just a, and again, been there, been yeah. there. <laughs> I yeah. get it. Uh, I've been there and I had to live through it to come out the other side. Like Shawshank and, Redemption, right? You like, you're, you like crawled, you crawled through a sewer of shit and your hand came up through the mud and then you right. crawled out in a storm. No. And yeah. you look back now and it seems so obvious, man, what was I doing? I was, I was killing myself, but you thought you were in the middle of this good life. Like, man, I'm so busy, you know, I'm making all this stuff and blah, da, 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 and you're churning and burning and, you know, catching you equated midnight busy oil sometimes. With success. And, you equated busy with success and that, those two things right. aren't the same. Yeah. Correct. That's what I was just going to say. I was equating my busyness, the phone calls and the projects is look how, or to my emotional, how successful I was. But at the end of the day, right. I mean, when, when I now really put my lifestyle into it, you're like, Whoa, wait a minute. Like that, my bank account seems to come down pretty low <laughs> and oh, and the next project, uh, the next project, yeah, that'll take care of that. And da, da, da. But man, yeah, it was a hamster wheel. Well, here, you know, my last piece of advice, John, my last piece, I swear, is I was talking to Dusty the other night and he was uh, kind of lamenting about how busy he is and how it's just burning him out, right? He's just so mm-hmm. busy, so busy. And he's over 200 bucks a square foot. He's 200 plus a square foot. And he's booked up so far out, massive projects. And he his quality of life is diminished right now because of how busy he is. And I told him, increase your price and increase your price and increase your price until you find the equilibrium of the amount of work you want to do. Yep. So keep taking your 200, go to 300 a square foot. That's going to drop off probably 20 or 30% of those projects right at the gates. But the 70 that remain are now 300 bucks a square foot versus 200. So your profitability yep. is higher for your time, might even make more money than you were before. And you're spending 30% less time or go to 400, 500 a square foot. Now you have only 20% of the clients, but those 20% are paying 500 a square foot. Yep. And your quality of and life. Less stress. Exactly. Less stress. And when you go into your shop, you're psyched to be doing that project. You're not feeling resentful that you're in your shop and you're grinding and you're grinding. Even though you're making great money, you're so busy that your quality of life is low right now because you're so busy. So you need to just keep ratcheting that price up. That's the other part of this. And find the equilibrium of where you want to be work-wise with the income you need to generate where those two intersect is the sweet spot. And that's what you want to find. And that's what I'm encouraging Dusty to do. I'll see if, you know, hopefully he does it. But I told him, dude, go to 400. Just do it. Next next few proposals, do 400 square foot. Right. See what happens. See what happens. Yeah. Maybe one of them will do it. Great. Because that's the equivalent of doing two before, but now you're just doing one. Yeah. So anyways, that's another another little uh, tidbit for you. A little tidbit that you're not going to get from um, a cosplay concrete training venue that uh, doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, so John, 
we have yes, a sir. workshop coming up, the Concrete Heroes Quest 2.0. It's a 2.5-day class, August 9th through 11th, Napa, California. We've already had three registrations. We have two more that said they're going to register in the next day or two, so that'll be five. And it's only been live for a week. So we've only had it... Uh, We've only had it up on the website for a week. So a lot of interest in it. We're getting a lot of people registering. It's a great class. Uh, essentially what yeah, we're a lot be- of interest in the Ram Crete. Exactly. Uh, that's, really, yeah, that's really cool, man. Dude. So what we're going to be doing in this class is we're making a, a post-tension table, uh, a, a very long span, 13 foot post-tension table. So the post-tensioning part of it is very interesting. A lot of people have never done it. They want to see it firsthand. Maybe they saw some photos of somebody doing it or whatever, and they want to do it. So we're going to be doing that. We're going to be doing an upright cast GFRC finish, which is very, very high-level concrete artistry. develops or it creates a hand-hewn finish, which is highly in demand. It doesn't matter if you're in a modern Mm -hmm. home, a rustic home. You know, it's kind of got that uh, restoration hardware, pottery barn. Yeah, it's a really cool finish. Yeah, crate and barrel. Like, it goes in everything. It doesn't matter. Like, any type of decor, it fits in really well. So we're going to be doing that. And we're doing Ramcrete. And so what Ramcrete is, is it's... You and I have been working for years now, honestly, on trying to make a, a thin, rammed earth-esque mix. So rammed earth is something that I'm passionate about. I've been passionate about it for over 20 years. I have a company doing it. And uh, it has a very unique aesthetic to it. it it's uh, almost like sediment, sedimentary stone. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's layered. Beautiful. It's like sandstone. Yeah. The problem is all the concrete mixes out there, they just don't. They don't create that look very well. You know, they're just eh, whatever. But with rad mix, we're able to control it to such an extent that we're getting very, very, very high quality rammed earth uh, look with a very thin piece, a, a thin section. Where rammed earth, we're typically 12, 18, 24 inches thick. That's a very thick wall. It's a heavy wall. And I've done them uh, where we moved them. We, we've done them in sections and moved them for an art project, for an art gallery. Hmm. But, uh, you know, you're not going to be doing that in your shop, and it's not something you can do for a client. So if we're able to do uh, a three-inch panel and attach it to the wall, which I'm probably going to do here in my studio in one of the bathrooms, the whole back wall will be ramcrete. Um, if you're able to do that, that opens, opens up a world of possibilities, and architects and designers are super, super, super hot on rammed earth. It is, for anybody listening, you're getting into the trend at the very front end of it. You're not getting, it's not like terrazzo. Terrazzo, if you get into that now, you're at the very tail end of it. So that, that bubble's come and gone, you know, like that whole arc of trendiness is on the decline. Rammed earth, on the other hand, it's just starting to come into like the Rubicon of, of architecture and design in the United States and they're super hot on it. So like Hermes just did all their stores in the US and rammed earth panels on the interior. This opens up a world of possibility. So anybody that is interested in being ahead of the curve and being ahead of uh, everybody in their area of what they can offer, Ramcrete's where it's at. So, and we're the only people teaching it. Um, again, experience matters. I've been I've been working in this well, field I was for say, right quite now, a while. The only people not just teaching it that they've been been part of it. Yeah, yeah. So you've been doing this for a while. I've been doing it for a while. Yeah, my last studio in Arkansas was Rammed Earth. My house was Rammed Earth that I built there. Um, I just got back the last podcast. I just got back from St. Louis. I did a big, a big rammed earth art installation there. Um, I'm in talks with several different, very, very large scale uh, rammed earth buildings right now. Some overseas, some in the United States that I'm, I'm working on proposals for. So yeah, rammed earth is a big passion of mine. And Ram Crete is the intersection of 
ultra high performance concrete and rammed earth they intersect you're able to create those looks in a thin shell piece and you can use that for furniture you With can the use durability it, yeah, yeah for panels very cool for all kinds of things planters i mean there's a thousand applications you can use it for and uh and, and be ahead of the curve for the aesthetics of it which designers are are very excited about so anyways August 9th through 11th, Concrete Heroes Quest, Napa, California. Go to ConcreteDesignSchool.com, sign up today, and we will see you there. I'll be there. Well, I might be there. I don't know. <laughs> I know I'm going to All right, buddy. Well, this has been a long podcast. All right, man. Well, good talking to you. Yeah. As always. Yep. And now that I have a space, uh, let's do this again a little bit sooner next time. Sounds good. All right, buddy. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.